Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of Self-Control Through Torah. I'm David Gottlieb, a member of the faculty in Jewish studies at the Spertus Institute for Jewish Learning and Leadership in Chicago. And I am Modia Silva, a member of the tribe. And I'm also a psychotherapist and author based in Toronto, Canada. Modia and I have been studying together for many years, and the current project we're embarked on, as those of you who have been listening may know, is to read through Torah, portion by portion, and learning Musar, or character development lessons from the Parsha of the week. And our guide through that process is Rabbi Menachem Mendel Levin's Heshbon Hanefesh, a guide to self-improvement and character refinement. What Modi and I do is focus on one midah or character trait each week for four weeks as we move through successive Torah portions. And then after four weeks, we move to the next midah in Menachem Mendel Leffen's book. And this week is the third of our four episodes on the midah of Harizut or decisiveness. Moja, I have a great deal to say about this, but my thoughts are completely disorganized. Um, mm. I would say that I have a lot of lessons to learn about this midah. Uh, we'll probably get into this later, but um, linguistically, it appears to me that harizut is related to the trilateral root for the word to run, resh, vav, tzadi, and if that is true or even partly true, then there is an element of alacrity, of assiduousness, of speed. Uh, and I think this is borne out in uh, Menachem Mental Levin's text, where he says you can't, you know, you can't vacillate or prevaricate. You can't wander endlessly over the next steps you're going to take. You have to determine the next step and take that step with diligence and alacrity. I think this is a problem of mine, and I think that's why uh, I'm all over the map today. What does this midah, what does this trait suggest to you, and what are you thinking about? Um, so I'm thinking about clarity for the most part, but I want to actually comment on what you just said, because um, you talked about speed uh, and running, and Samson Raphael Hirsch says that the root, haratz, is to cut sharply. And we'll see actually the use of that word later as we speak. But it's in this week's Pasha, uh, talking about dogs. But to cut sharply, and as I say cut sharply, I immediately thought of, I take swimming lessons because I've now foolishly become a triathlete. And this makes me despise you even more. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up learning breaststroke and that's all I've swum all my life. And to be a more effective triathlete, I need to swim front crawl. So for the last year, I've been going to a master's swim class with a coach to learn how to swim front crawl. And I'm slow. I'm the slowest in the whole group and I have a good time, but still I'm really slow. And I keep asking him, the coach, how do I get faster I know this doesn't sound much like the Parsha and the Mita, but no, I'll, no, I'll get this there. This is embodied. I like it. Okay, good. So he had me a week ago 
slightly correct the way I put my arms into the, my hand into the water. And that slight change has changed everything about the way I'm swimming. And now I swim 50 meters in just under a minute. Whereas before it was like a minute 10, a minute 15, a minute 20. 10 or 15 seconds off your time? Just by, just by cutting sharply, just by charats. So I think there is something about speed, like you just said, but I think speed comes from clarity, like comes from an alignment. Mm. And so I want to say, as we go through this, that what I look for in decisiveness is the alignment of thought, heart, and body. And I think once you have that, your decisiveness can really cut cut sharply through life, through your life. Spoken like a true and excellent somatic therapist, I might add. Because what we, <clears throat> I mean, this is one of the most vivid, the most dramatic partiot in all of Torah. It's it may be the most, in not only in terms of the miracles that occur, but in terms of the series of events, their astonishing symmetry, their overwhelming power, and the human drama that plays out under the umbrella of divine care. Part of what we see, <clears throat> excuse me, is uh, Pharaoh um, making a series of decisions and then trying to hedge those decisions. For example, letting deciding to let the Israelites go worship at three days distance, but then saying only the men can go um, by going back on his word. At this point, it is God that is hardening his heart. Uh, it's not him. Now it now God is in full control of all events and the reactions of people to those events. Uh and and part of what I I see in this um is not it is how humans um should you know if we are betzelam elokim we are learning lessons amongst many of the lessons we're learning from this parsha is what happens once god makes a decision if we are betzelam elokim we should act in the same way once this process is underway there is no stopping it Moses and Aaron's occasional hesitancy doesn't stop it. Um, the people's fears don't stop it. And in fact, there's this interesting and, and in some ways a, a troubling reconciliation between the Israelites and the Egyptians as the Israelites are leaving. Uh, God encourages the Israelites to, to request or to take from the Egyptians uh, gold and silver, and the Egyptians give it freely. And some commentators suggest that there is a kind of uh, almost like a sympathy or a reconciliation here. And some commentators are troubled by the notion that the Israelites were almost like looting the Egyptians and why God puts this in place. But the fact is that once the events get going, regardless of what we may think about what happens, it happens. And so we are to understand through this, in terms of harizut, that I think once you make a decision, you abide by that decision. There will be many decision trees along the way, but prevaricating about a series of actions only delays the inevitable. What do you think? I I, I agree with you. First, I think there's going to be have we have to say something about whether they stole the silver and gold, because. Please. 
Because directly in the text, it doesn't say that. It says they asked. They asked the Egyptians whether it was under duress or not. We don't know. Right. But they did right. ask them, and then the Egyptians gave it to them. Right. Just as a right. shot. The like translations a... often suggest some kind of thievery, and I think that is an incorrect translation. Yeah. But to your point of we're but Selamelukim, we're made in the image of God, and therefore... Um, who is it? The uh, the Alay Shur. Um, the Alay Shur says that closeness in the physical world is measured by distance, and closeness in the spiritual world is measured by similarity. And so, we actually strive through our midot, through our character traits, to be as similar to God as possible. And so, I agree with you um, that that is our job, and maybe. Jumping into the Parsha on chapter 12, chapter 12, verse 16, we've just been told essentially about Pesach. We've just been told about celebrating a holiday for seven days. And then it says, Uvyom um, Harishon, and on the first day, Mikra Kodesh, it will be, it, it'll be called a Kodesh. Uvyom Hashvi, and on the seventh day, Mikra Kodesh, Yehir Lachem, it'll be a, a, this, it'll be this thing that's called or summoned to be Kodesh, to be holy. And I think that's what this Pasha and maybe the whole Torah is really about, is when we're called to be holy through doing these acts, we should then turn to the attributes of the divine, attributes of God, and say, okay, this is how I'm going to get to be holy, by being as similar to God as possible. And so I think although as we as I read this Pasha Bo, and all the other Pashiat, that that that's my question is like, okay, let's look at what God's doing. And you and I have talked a lot about is God really understanding humankind? Is God developing a relationship ongoing and getting to know us better throughout the Torah? And but nonetheless, putting all that aside, um, God has all these attributes. And if I want to be holy, whatever holy means, then I have to become similar as similar as possible to God's attributes. I love that. Part of the reason I love that is that it gives us, I think, a much clearer idea of what the word holy means. I think it's a word that we sort of take for granted or assume that we know what it means. But but to be holy is to take on um, mimetically um, the attributes of God and in so doing, to sort of separate oneself from the mundane world. As a student uh, of religion and the history of Judaism, <clears throat> I know that uh, Judaism sort of sprang partly out of and was very closely related to other ancient Near Eastern uh, traditions uh, in, which, uh, in which there were pantheons of gods, there wasn't one unified divine force conceived of as being uh, the creator of the universe. To believe in such a God and to create a system of worship and social construction based on the idea of that God meant that one separated oneself from the other nations of the world and the region. And kadosh really means to separate, right? So when you make a decision when it is incumbent upon you to be in covenant 
covenanted relationship to the one God, then you have separated yourself in a way. You have, and you have recognized that there is more than one way to be in the world. There are, there is the world of Parnassa, right? And there is the world of, uh, of the neshama, of the, of the nefesh. And Judaism looks at a way to live a unified life, an embodied life, but one that is sacred too. So that decisions under this umbrella, under this way of thinking, have cosmic consequences. Decisions have cosmic consequences. Now, this could make it harder to decide, but God sort of um, cuts that off by saying that, um, uh, and I'm going to try to find um, a portion just now. Um, you were just in chapter 12, and I think that's what I'm looking for. This month shall mark for you the beginning of the month. This is chapter 12, verse 1. It shall be the first of the months of the year for you. We are seeing a cutting off, right? It's exactly what you're saying. This is the beginning of a new way to mark time. Nothing is the same after this. Um, and that is a kind of decisiveness. When, when we make a decision, we should embrace the fact, no matter how small the decision is, that nothing after this will be the same. Right. So <clears throat> a number of weeks ago, we had uh, Alan Marinus as a guest. And I think if I remember correctly, this, the, the uh, repetitive theme through that, um, that podcast session was discernment that for us to improve our character traits, we constantly need to discern. And that's the cutting off, right? Yes. I'm going to discern one month from the next. I'm going to discern one year from the next year. And when we don't have that discernment, we have confusion. We have cloudiness or lack of clarity, which I said is my theme for today. <laughs> um, so it says like in that chapter still, in chapter 12, verse 26, Moses has just told them about Pesach, about the seven-day holiday that they have to observe. And then the people say, and then when your children shall say to you, what does this service, what does this divine service mean to you? What they're actually saying is, we don't know what you're talking about. We have no clarity. And Rav Samson Raphael Hirsch on that sentence says, this is the question asked by a generation which has become estranged from God, which places man in the service of himself alone and only places value in an action if it's a tangible, if it if it's of tangible use. So I think Rav Hirsch is saying, if you don't have clarity, don't make decisions because, because if you do, you're probably going to be self-serving and there's not going to be space in your life for the divine. Right. What do you think? Well, I'm thinking about that in terms of um, <clears throat> uh, what we learn about how quickly the Israelites yearn to return to their old ways. We're going to see in subsequent portions that it doesn't take long after the Shirat Hayam, mm -hmm. the Song of the Sea, for Israelites to say, whoa we miss Egypt. We're out here starving in the desert. Would that we could buy, be by the flesh pots because they are still attached to the human comforts. The radically new way of making decisions has not become 
has not become innate in them. Part of the, it makes the 40 years in the desert seem like a necessary um, uh, uh, extended rite of initiation, almost. It takes a long time for a radical reorientation of an entire people. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it takes a long time for the Israelites to realize that they are being asked to, uh, as, as Torah says, as God says, choose life. And by that, I mean, um, that Pharaoh really lines up on the side of death and God has to work a long time with Moses and the people to line up on the side of life. Part of the challenge that the threat that Pharaoh feels from the Israelites is that they're so exceedingly fertile. So bred into them is the ability to, to create life, but their ability to choose life, to decide on the side of life over and over again has been stunted by years of slavery. You and I talked about this last week about, about the problem of Kotzer Ruach, of having a crushed spirit. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, I think about this in terms of my relationships too, that as we get older, we get into habits that are increasingly hard to break out of. This is a radical breaking out that creates a new way of being in the world of choosing life. What I'm saying, I guess, is the form of decisiveness being modeled for us here is always on the side of choosing life, Mm. of creativity, of expansiveness, of fertility, of awareness and compassion, of reaching out, of expansiveness. And after after centuries of slavery, that is not an easy mindset to cultivate. Right. And I, I, I agree with you. And I want to add a nuance because, because I work somatically that it's not just an expansiveness externally with you in the world, but it's a, it's an inner expansiveness as well. So it says way back, not way back, but in chapter 10, no chapter 11, Sorry, chapter 11, verse 2, it says, um, like, speak, I pray you, in the ears of the people. So it could have just said, saper. It could have said, just go tell the people. Or it could have even just said, it could have used daber, like, speak, but to the people, sorry. But it says, in the ears. It's like, where else are you going to speak to people if not into their ears? But I think what it's teaching us is that it, whatever you are going to do repetitively as you build a habit has to be burrowed deep into the psyche. It can't just be, I can't just speak at you. I've got to speak deep into your ears. In contrast, in 10.4, or maybe it's 11.4, um, you, we're told that the, the Egyptians are going to lose sight of reality because the locusts, with the locusts coming, they won't even be able to see the fields. So essentially, they're going to be blind, and maybe this is foreshadowing of the ninth plague of darkness. Exactly. Yeah, right. I was just about to say that, yeah. Yeah, that they literally aren't going to be able to see. Um, I think it's all about expansiveness in the body as well, which is achieved through clarity. So you so keep... I, I, yeah, can I just add, say, though, because you started out saying, connecting charitsut, the word for decisiveness to speed, Mm-hmm. And it almost seems like I feel like I'm leaning now towards, oh, but I have to slow down before I speed up. 
I have to like to pull all the data in to make that decision requires me to maybe slow down. And then once I've made the decision, I speed up. So I think that um, uh, Rabbi Leffen addresses this, and I'm just going to look for um, what he has to say about this. His chapter on decisiveness, appropriately, is incredibly short, but he says, <clears throat> uh, this is on uh, in my edition, it's paragraph 83 on page 137, there are people whose process of deliberation is so short that it seems as if they conduct all their affairs solely according to the advice of their animal spirits. About them, the verse in Michelet states, uh, uh, Michelet 21.5, the thoughts of the zealous are superfluous, and those who are hasty reap only loss. Rabbi Leffen goes on, then there are people who are intelligent and quick in a certain field of learning or in a certain craft, but who lack ideas or experience in other fields. When faced with a situation with which they are unfamiliar, they think and reflect and ponder. Then they consult and think again interminably. This man's virtue is in truth his problem. Because he's intelligent, he can always find endless rationales that support different courses of action. Because of his inability to reach a final decision, opportunity passes him by, or he delays an enterprise with his hesitations for days or years, thus sacrificing their benefits for long periods of time. I read this not to disagree with you, but to say that I think what Rabbi Leffen is saying is, yes, you have to gather data, but you can still gather data and act with harizut, you know, with, with a decisiveness that keeps moving forward. Um, and I, I wanted to go back to something I think you said last week, um, while you strictly guarded doctor-patient confidentiality, you noted that many of your uh, clients, uh, a, a consistent problem you see is an inability to move, an, a, 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 an intense decisiveness, right? It, or indecisiveness, Indecisive. I should say. And yeah. so uh, that is kind of like the plague of darkness, right? You can't see beyond your own nose. And I think Rabbi Leffen is... is warning against this. And I wonder if so I, I want to contrast that. I don't think it's contradicting what you're saying, but how do we know? How do we know when we've gathered enough data? That's a great question, right? Because it makes me think about some of those clients who are indecisive and they're essentially indecisive because of fear. And they will tell me even, I just feel in my gut intuitively that I know what to do. And then I say, how come you don't do it? And the answer is always because there's a fear. So there's something between the intuitive knowing, which means they've gathered enough data, mm -hmm. maybe not cognitively, but their body has gathered enough data to intuitively right. tell them what to do. And then they still can't act because there's a fear response that's embedded somewhere. I that think. What was your Yeah, sorry. That, I don't, what well, do you my question is. You know, how do we know when we've gathered enough data? How do we know when to move forward? What do you, so you, you've drawn now a connection, a very good one between indecisiveness and fear, right? We're yeah. indecisive because we fear making the wrong decision. Mm -hmm. How do we, you're, you're the professional in this regard. What do we do? What do we do? You know, when the, when the Egyptians wheels get stuck in the mud, that's kind of where we're at when right. we can't move right so i my approach 
is to move very slowly, but to move. So it's a little bit taking from you know a future Pasha where we where we learn that the Israelites at Mount Sinai say Venishma, that we'll do and then we'll understand. It's like, okay, so do like can you do something that is that, that is well supported and contained, but and and small, but do it. Well, I think I should um I think I should reach out to this person because we had an argument and I just don't know. I've got to collect some data. And it's like, so why not just send them a one-line text saying hello? Right. Why not like do something small and see how that do feels? Something. Yeah. Yeah. Do something. <clears throat> I wanna I I wanna um jump to a slightly different track. Um I'm in uh Exodus 10 verse 16. Vayimaher Paro. Likola Moshe, Pharaoh hurriedly summoned Moses. I think in a way we've seen Pharaoh being indecisive. At the end here, after uh, the plague of locusts, Pharaoh summons Moses hurriedly. Now he's being decisive. I Then he says, I stand guilty before the Lord your God and before you. Forgive my offense just this once and plead with the Lord your God that he remove, but remove this death from me. So Moses removes himself from Pharaoh's presence, pleads with the Lord. God causes the wind to shift. All the locusts that have darkened the land fall into the sea of reeds. The locusts prefigure what the fate of the Egyptians is going to be. Mm. God, the, the Torah is drawing a, an, an implicit connection here between the Egyptians and the locusts, who are powerful, who cover the land, but the su suggestion is in the final analysis, to me, they have no free will. In refusing to recognize God, they and Pharaoh, at their head, lose their free will. Now, the important thing to understand from an historical perspective is lots of kingdoms in the ancient Near East and Egypt, foremost among them, the king was a god. So to have a god that that admitted of no other king was profoundly threatening to the surrounding cultures and to pharaoh this you know this this stunted group of slaves suggesting that there was a king over him that had a special relationship with them was ridiculous but in the end claiming that that is ridiculous doesn't give Pharaoh free will. It entirely removes his free will and that of all the people under his rule. So the, that's the last thing I want to say is that I think the the similarity of the fate of the locusts and the Egyptians suggest that if we think we're in control of everything, we actually lose our free will and our decisions mean nothing. That's amazing. I love that connection. I've never seen that before. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I think what we... And, and the way that we stop ourselves losing everything, including our free will, is what you just said a few minutes ago. I think it's empowering ourselves. Like we do it with children, right? They, they, we empower little kids to take one more step forward in growth. And yes. we, we, we don't send them off to university for a PhD straight away. <laughs> well, certainly not in my case. Right. Just in case our listeners don't know, I earned my PhD at 58, but that's a, a different problem altogether. Let's not get sidetracked. Uh, 
I, I want to go down a different path and ask you about your, was it your inner child that got the PhD or? It's actually a huge problem with decisiveness, which I, I need therapy from Dr. Silver from, from you, but I don't want to, I don't want to sidetrack you from your point. Well, I think I just lost my point, but I think the point is that um, there is a relationship, as you said before, between power and decision-making and whether decision-making uh, builds power, empowers, and, and by power, I don't mean um, like aggressive, forceful power. I mean, agency, like self-agency. Mm -hmm. um, and then my, I have a question though, which is we're told about like the first collective um, mitzvah that we get is, is, the, is Rosh Chodesh, is the new moon. That right. we, like back in those days, you couldn't say, well, we know it's, we know it's 30 days from now or 29 or whatever. Let's just call it that. You actually had to see it. And send the signal out to say it's the new moon. Yeah, that's that's empowering. And now we have a calendar that tells us exactly when it is. And it feels to me, as I think about this now, that I just had that power taken away from me. Ooh, wow. I'm I'm not being asked to go out onto my front porch now and check out whether it's the new moon. You've raised such an important point, which could be the subject of a whole other podcast, which is that. Our, our technological capacity has removed some of our autonomy and our agency. I'm reading a wonderful book by uh, the sociologist of religion, the late uh, Robert Bella, and he says um, our adaptations have made it impossible for us to keep up with our adaptations. Our adaptations are moving at such a speed that we can't understand the consequences of them until they've taken over our lives. Um, and he wrote this uh, almost 15 years ago. Uh, and we've seen more recently with AI and with other technological quantum leaps that um, we are delegating our agency to a, a variety of technological capacities that humanity has developed. And the consequences of that could be and already are in some ways being both liberating and profoundly troubling. So uh, that is a whole other subject because part of what we're seeing here in Parshat Bo is how critical and how um, tangible and how physical decision-making is, how tied to the earth and the concrete phenomena of existence on this planet and our need to live in harmony with it. That makes, um, and our lives are already uh, so different from uh, physically from the lives being led in Torah that we don't even realize how different our decision-making criteria and um, categories are. Uh, over to you. Um, that's a very somber presentation. I like I like what you just said. It it it, it just made me think about um, Rabbi Micha Berger, who well, actually he's moving around now, but he's he's in Passaic, New New Jersey, New Jersey, um, New Jersey. Um, he was in a study group talking about Haritzut, about uh, decisiveness, and I think that group came up with four key areas that interfere with the with our ability to be decisive and those four areas are not having clear priorities 
So that's the clarity piece that I wanted to focus on today. Um, uncertainty of one's motivations, doubt about proper tactics. And then the last one is getting distracted by shiny objects. And I think the AI and technology and just forces into being distracted by time, by, by shiny objects. And it inhibits our ability to ground ourselves into the earth as you talk about the earth. Trust that we have self-agency to make proper decisions and then make the decision and then act on it. That's, that's really beautiful. That's, yeah. Four criteria you outlined just strike me to the core because those are all my problems. I almost started singing the song Roberta Flack made famous. Strumming my pain with his fingers, <laughs> singing my life with his words because those I am guilty of all of those uh those are all problems for me i'm really glad that you that you uh surfaced that and i'm glad you made the connection to the embodiment at its core so i think with that we'll um we'll end this week's episode although as always there's so much more to say um we've done our best to help uh illuminate parts of this momentous parsha parshat bo uh, in the light of the Midah, the character trait of decisiveness. Next week, uh, the fourth and last week in which we discuss decisiveness, we'll have a special guest. Moja, could you tell us about our guest? Um, I can tell you his name. No, I can tell you a little bit. He is um, he's Rabbi David Jaffe from Boston. And um, I met him at the Musar Institute I know maybe 15 years ago or more, something like that. Um, he's a wonderful teacher. He's a deep thinker and a broad thinker. And he's fair, he, he, um, he thinks broadly and deeply. And I think he will have a lot to say about this particular character trait of Haritsut. That's wonderful. And that will be in conjunction with Parshat Bashalach, if I'm not mistaken. So... Yeah. That will be really exciting for you and I, I hope for Rabbi Jaffe, and I hope for our listeners, whom I want to thank for joining us today on another episode of Self-Control Through Torah. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm David Gottlieb. And I am Modia Silva, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.